Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Reddit Readings, episode 111. That's 111, and we're still the best show on the internet. Today, we're jumping into malicious compliance. If you want to be maliciously compliant, maliciously go and sign up to our Patreon. It's four bucks a month. You get one bonus episode every week. How can you call that a bad deal? But without further ado, let's get right into it. Grab your tea, your popcorn, and let's go, my good sirs. Now streaming only on Disney Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Does anyone here know the lyrics? Ruben. Taylor Swift: The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney Plus. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Ah. Hello, welcome back. This first one is from a deleted user. But don't worry, we have copies of everything. Bin everything in this room. You got it, boss. Not my own malicious compliance, but overheard, then witnessed at work. A few months ago, the two owners at my work had a huge disagreement, which has escalated to full-blown screaming matches in the middle of the office and nearly into several physical fights. It came to a head last Friday, and owner A decided to pack it all in and leave effective immediately. After lunch, owner B called the warehouse manager up to the office and pointed at owner A's office, situated just off the main open plan office, and said, I'm too stressed to deal with this, so I'm going home. Bin everything in that room. I don't want to see a shred of evidence that owner A worked here when I get back on Monday morning. The warehouse manager looked at the offending office and back to owner B. Uh, Are you sure you want me to bin everything, boss? Owner B looked ready to explode already and apparently this extra bit of clarification sent him over the edge. Did I stutter? Get rid of everything in there, or you can clear out your desk too. And so, Erna B stormed off, and our warehouse manager took out his walkie-talkie and summoned up two of his warehouse staff and relayed the instruction. The warehouse workers questioned it and got the same answer. Yes, absolutely everything. And so, they got to work. Owner A's personal effects were put into a box and sealed up to be taken to him by one of the purchasing staff who lived nearby. Everything else was bagged up and put into the bins. The paperwork and stationery were boxed up to be shredded and destroyed. Next, the monitor and printer were taken to the bins, followed by the desk and chair. When I left at 4pm, the warehouse workers were just starting to take down the wall-mounted bookshelves. I would have expected them to stop there. But when I got in this morning, there was nothing in the office. The curtains and blinds are gone. Plug sockets and light fittings, 
taken off the walls, leaving exposed wires. The tiles removed from the ceiling, showing the ductwork and wiring above. The carpet the owner requested to be put in was torn up, leaving the underlay. Even the door with Onore's name plaque on it was taken off the hinges. It looked like a construction site in there. Onabe came in at 10 this morning, took one look at the bomb site, and started screaming his head off and demanded to see the warehouse manager. He wanted whoever did this to put it right and then get off site as they were fired. If no one owned up, then the whole warehouse shift was fired. Our warehouse manager, never one to give a shit, just peered into the office and said, You said bin everything, boss. Looks like they did. And walked off. Owner B looked like he was gonna burst a blood vessel. Ah, yes, warehouse manager has exactly the number of fucks to give that I aspire to. Well done, good sir. This next one is from Functional Psychopath. Dealership said Sue. So... I did. This all started December of last year and just finished last week. So I bought a car from one of those buy here, pay here places. I love the car. It's a Mazda 5 from 2014, basically the smallest minivan I've ever seen. Well, on Christmas, we drove to some family for dinner and celebration. When we went to leave, the car would not start. We checked everything and found out the horn wasn't even connected. Any fuse that wasn't absolutely needed was simply missing, and the tires were the original tires. Beyond that, we hooked up to the computer and it read several errors, but the one getting in the way was the immobilizer. I had never known the van had one. I called AAA and set up towing, but because we were in the middle of nowhere, AAA couldn't get a tow truck to us under our membership. So we had to call a tow truck and then submit the bill to AAA after the fact. So family let us borrow their car and the van was towed to a shop. A few days later and the shop calls to tell us what's wrong. I live in Texas, a single party consent state and I record all of my calls thanks to an app on my phone. The long list of car issues isn't important. The point of this van is a basic work van. The only issue they found stopping it from running is the immobilizer is active and they can't touch it without talking to the dealer. I freeway call the dealership and the shop and we talk for 17.43 minutes. During this call, the dealership acknowledged we were not behind and everything should be working unless it malfunctioned. The dealership also gave permission for the shop to bypass it and we would be reimbursed the towing and repairs. All the shop needed to do to get the van running was bypass the immobilizer and a couple of days later we picked up the van and paid the bill. Both bills came to just under $300 and we started calling the dealership. The first few conversations go well and the phone rep seemed interested in helping. But mostly I end up getting tossed around from department to department and then disconnected. That went on for some time and I of course took to Reddit to find out options. As almost always happens, Reddit users know some crazy facts and how to get stuff done. So I followed their advice and kept calling, eventually getting to a supervisor, and the first supervisor said he'd get it taken care of, and we ended the call. Two more days go by, and nothing is heard. So I call back, get tossed around, and then get another manager who says, we are not responsible for mechanical issues, and hangs up. I call back, now quite annoyed, and eventually get back to the same manager. 
I explain I have all the information and call recordings, including the repair shop freeway call. He cuts me off and says, What are you going to do? Take us to court over $296.47? I don't think so. But go ahead and sue. We'll win. And if that small amount is worth suing to you, you probably don't have the resources to actually sue. This, of course, made me quite upset. So off to a justice of the peace and explain what's happened. They give us a small claims form and explain the process. We can fill it out and pay a constable to serve the dealership or fill out the paper and take it to the dealership unfiled and explain everything to the manager in person. We chose the cheaper route because the manager on the phone was right. We didn't have the money to have it served, only filed. So we transcribed the phone calls, found out how to fill out the paper. The hardest part was finding the agent. We didn't know what that meant, but we again turned to Reddit and learned. We gathered the bills and all the paperwork and made our way to the dealership's payment center. I wait in line and see the name of the manager is the same as the manager on the phone that told me to sue. I wait in line and when it's my turn, I ask to talk to John and he comes over and sits across from me. After making introductions and I confirm it's the same guy, I start to explain the situation again. As I'm explaining, I see when he recalls talking to me on the phone. He starts to dismiss me and I explain that he asked me to sue and I'm here with all my evidence and the unfixed suit, giving him one final chance. He starts to look over the papers and asked if I still had the recordings. I said yes, I could email him a copy. We sit and talk for about an hour. As he reads, then I sat with a slight aggravated tone. If something isn't done today, not only am I going to head right back to that courthouse and file, as well as tack on as much for emotional distress and whatever else the clerk hinted at. The clerk was very open-mouthed with uh, ideas, as well as send a copy of everything to every email on the corporate website. At this, our conversation drew the attention of a woman in a power suit who rushes over for a recap. I find out she's John's boss's boss's boss, and she's none too happy about how far things have gone. She assured me that all would be made right and gave me her cell number and email. I gave her the papers and left. The next Monday at 8.00am, I got a call asking if credit being applied to the account would be acceptable. I say yes, and she explains they will credit $500 to the account as payment. The payments are only $155 every two weeks. I agreed, and we talked for a few minutes. When I asked why it took this much to get things done, she laughed and said, It shouldn't have, and certain people are no longer employed at the company. Well, today was Wednesday and the day of the payment, but when I went to make the payment, it was already done. Thank you, Power Suit Lady. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This next one is from Chick with an Attitude. Ex-husband banked out on his agreement. Ended up costing him so much more in the long run. My ex-husband and I had a great divorce. Even though he cheated on me after 12 years and two kids under four, 
I really wanted to do things differently than my parents did during their divorce. I never said anything negative about him and tried very hard to defend him when the kids got upset with him. I extended invitations to the woman he left me for so she would not feel uncomfortable with me and we became friends. She was basically their stepmom, so why not include her on everything? On holidays, we all had one big dinner. He and her and me and my boyfriend. This made everyone comfortable and the kids never had to choose one side or the other as we were all on the same page. It was such a great relationship that when I had back surgery, I recovered at his house and she cooked for me. He and I were coaches for the kids' basketball and baseball teams and I helped at their wedding 13 years later. This was not easy for me as he moved to another state to raise her children, leaving me to raise ours on my own. She quit her job when they got together and I had to return to work to support my kids. But I needed to keep the resentment and bitterness away from my kids. All of this set the tone for the divorce. But when he initially left, I spoke to a lawyer and got a separation agreement that was really great for me. He asked that I not take half of his retirement, but instead he would pay X in child support and additional Y in alimony. Because he was making a lot of money and I was a stay-at-home mum with a country club membership. Ugh, I hate saying that, but it's only to set the scene. Normally, alimony ends after five years, but because I didn't get half of the 401k, the only condition on ending it was it would end on my remarriage or my death. He agreed with all of it. The thing is, when he left me to move down to where she lived, he left his cushy job and took his promising but not delivering position that really screwed him financially. But he never went back to the lawyer to get the child support or alimony reduced. Instead, he borrowed from his mother. When I discovered he was mooching off of her, I suggested to her that she stop paying for him when he finally got back on his feet. She never would do that and continued paying for his life and for her to be a stay-at-home mum even co-signing for a second home for him when he finally moved back to raise his kids. Hers had graduated and lived in his old house. Ours was in HS. He did come to me and ask if I'd accept regular child support and half the alimony. Then later, when he was really earning money, he would pick back up on the past due amount. Not wanting to make waves and an otherwise great divorce, I said yes and kept track each month of what was owed in a shared spreadsheet with him so he could see how far in debt he was getting each month. He ended up owing me $100 a month times 10 years. But he said when the kids aged out of child support, he would continue to pay the same amount to make up for the alimony, which totaled $120,000. When my daughter aged out, he continued to pay the same amount, putting a small dent in what he owed for three years. Then, as soon as my son aged out, I mean two weeks after he joined the Marines... He called me and told me there was no way he was going to continue paying me for the next X years and that I could take him to court if I wanted, but there is no fucking way he would pay me another cent. This completely blew my mind as we had such a fantastic relationship and it came out of nowhere. I was completely freaked out, but I took his advice. I contacted an attorney, I sent all his calls to voicemail, per my attorney's advice, and I took him to court. The best thing was, prior to the hearing, my attorney put a lien on both homes he had so he could not change ownership to his mum or wife prior to the court hearing. I still have the phone call recording when he realised this and the horrible names he called me for doing that. Since I'd kept such immaculate records from that day, he changed payments and he was aware of his debt rising each month. It was a slam dunk for my attorney. 
Instead of making small payments for a few years, he had 30 days to pay me $120,000 in full. Unfortunately, the kids now have to choose which parent they visit on holidays. But that was not my fault. I was willing to continue as is and not put any strain on the family relationship. And for those of you wondering, yes, he did cheat on her twice before they got married. But she had quit her job when they got together because she found a sugar daddy and had nothing to fall back on, nowhere to go. So she stayed with him. Since we're friends, she shared this info with me, as I would understand what she was going through. Won't approve my purchases? Okay, I can work with that. From dharmon 555 I was a one-man IT shop at a small manufacturer. I'd been there for years. I was actually the third employee ever hired, and now the company was like 120 people. I was very frugal, but in smart ways. I got a lot done for a little money, and was always looking out for the company. The owner recognized and respected this. Anyhow, we'd gotten big enough where I didn't report to the owner anymore and I was assigned to report to an inexperienced accountant who got her degree from some sketchy online school. She was going to change the world. I used to be able to buy just about anything I wanted because the owner knew when I asked for the company credit card, I had already done my homework and it would be good for the company. Well, now, if anything was over $500, I had to go through this process with her to justify it. It wouldn't bug me, except she had no real business savvy or common sense. It was just painful to me to try and explain the most obvious things to her, and she would just fight it just because of power tripping or something. For example... I was trying to justify having at least one computer loaded up and ready to go as a hot spare for when someone's broke. She balked at having $1,500 sitting on a shelf unused. I tried to explain that about once a month someone's computer would break. All she could see was the $1,500 sitting unused most of the time. She couldn't understand the real cost of a broken computer. That the person could no longer do their job effectively. Parts not getting ordered, jobs not getting expedited, emails not getting returned. Me having to drop everything to react to this situation, overnighting in parts. The true impact cost to the company was several hundreds of dollars every month. She couldn't see that having a spare would pay for itself in half a year or so. After a half hour of fighting over this, I had an epiphany. I handed her the requisition approval forms, told her she was right, and left. Any purchases under $500 didn't need any approval at all. Now, nothing I ever bought was over $500. I didn't buy a spare computer. I bought three as parts and assembled them into computers, servers, network storage, Why justify to a bean counter who wouldn't understand anyway? Just buy more parts and assemble yourself. Dual monitors for everybody. Bought one at a time. Bite me, Charmaine. 
Ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of the show today. I hope your tea and popcorn lasted all the way through. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you have a moment, please, please, please drop us a review on the platform where you're listening to this. It's a huge help. Thank you very much. And until next time, peace out. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.